back a lot of my childhood this week as I was preparing this sermon. So you're going to hear about, uh, going to hear about that. And, and some of you perhaps may be able to relive some of the memories that I had uh, as they relate to memories that you have uh, as well uh, as growing up. Uh, one of the things that, that I remember as a kid is there was one person that I really looked up to. I mean, there was one person that I really wanted to be like. And as a boy growing up in western Pennsylvania and loving baseball, there was one person that I watched every chance that I could, one person that I really wanted to emulate, and that was this person right here. You know who that is? Roberto Clemente. How many of you who are probably my age or a little, maybe a little older wanted to be like Roberto? Okay, after the service, after the first service, I had so many guys going, oh yeah, me too. I wanted to be like him. He could do everything on the baseball field. He could run, he could hit, and man, he could throw. He had a phenomenal arm. And he played uh, right field. And and I just remember, I just remember that, you know, almost every waking thought was about baseball for me. And and a lot of those thoughts had to do with Clemente. Do you remember uh, back in the, the days before there were video games, and the days before there were internet, and the days before there were cell phones? And if you were like me, you were told a lot to go outside and play. That's correct. I'm not sure why they didn't want me in the house. I really just can't figure that out. Now, I don't have anything against any of those technologies. In fact, they make my life a lot easier. And uh, many of you who come up to me on Sunday and tell me something, you know that I pull out my phone and I put it in my phone so I don't forget. So there's nothing wrong with that. But I just want you to know, I grew up in a time where you had to go outside and play. And I was told that a lot uh, by my mom, who was here this morning in the first service, and by my dad, and even by my sisters occasionally. Uh, Again, I can't figure out why they kept telling me that. Um, But I went outside and I played, especially if it was summer, I played baseball. Now, it may be that some of you grew up and you had 18 friends that you could go play a full game of baseball, but where I grew up in my backyard, I usually had three or four or five people at the most And we had to use our imagination and kind of invent games to play baseball. How many of you remember imaginary runners? Okay. How many of you under 20 have ever heard what that even means? You mean no one? Okay. Imaginary runners. Okay. You had to make stuff up. You had to invent games to be able to play. And we did that all the time. And anytime we were inventing those games, I was always Clemente. I was always the guy. In fact, I created one game that I could play all by myself for hours. And this may shock you, but not only did I play the game, I also announced the game out loud. (laughs) And so this game, uh, let let me explain it to you. Uh, We at our house, uh, we had a single-story house, had a garage, and and the back door of the garage went straight out into the backyard, and there was a little 8 by 8 patio, cement patio. It was a step down from the garage to the patio. So it had about a cement block, you know, 32, 36 inches wide, about six inches high. And I would stand four or five feet off of that patio, and I would throw the tennis ball against that concrete step, and if it missed a step, it hit the door occasionally. As far as I remember, it didn't happen very often. My mom might have a different view. And the ball would bounce back to me, and I would catch the ball as a grounder, and, and it, I, I would, that's how I would practice. But more than practice, I would create games, right? I was the pitcher. I mean, I would wind up. I'm throwing the ball, I'm throwing the ball to, the, to the metal step, sorry, to the concrete step, and it would bounce back. And, 
be a ground ball, and I'd pick it up, and I'd throw it back against that same concrete block, and I'd be the first baseman catching it, and the person would be out. See, I, I, knew all the, I knew the Pirates lineup, but I knew a lot of other major league teams' lineups, and I would play games, batter by batter, through this. And I would stand over here at an angle and throw it so that I would have to make a good play to stop it. Or, or if not, it would become a single or a double. I could even turn double plays. I mean, I would catch the ball, I'd throw it up in the air, and then I would catch it again and throw it. I mean, that's what I did for hours. And not just ground balls, but, you know, I would throw the ball up against, again, single-story house, throw it up in the air, it would hit our roof, and it would bounce off, right? The tennis ball at different angles, and I would catch the ball. And, of course, when the Pirates were in the field, I would catch the ball like Clemente did. You remember how that was? The basket catch. Remember that? Again, the young people are going, no. The basket catch. You know, I, I would not only would I do that, but I would pretend that our house was the wall at Forbes Field. And so I would stand three or four feet away from it, and I would throw the ball up in the air, and I would try to get it as close to the wall as I could. So, you know, I was right up against the wall making that catch against the wall. And if I threw it a little bit too far and hit the roof, home run, right? Now, if I threw it just right, or just wrong, it wouldn't hit the roof, and it wouldn't come down, it would go in the gutter. That was a home run, but it also meant my mom or my dad had to get the ladder and get the ball out of the gutter. Now, what I do remember is a ball in the gutter was usually pretty gross after that, but I kept playing, didn't let it stop me. My mom was here in the first service, and I said, you remember getting that ball out of the gutter? And she was like, yes, I remember getting the ball out of the gutter. That's what we used to do. We used to invent games. And again, in those games, Clemente was almost always the hero, right? He was the guy that got the winning hit, drove in the winning run. He was the one that made that great catch against the wall. He was the one that threw out the runner trying to score. Roberto Clemente was always the, the hero in those games for me. Not just that, but anytime I played wiffle ball, anytime I played a make-believe baseball game, you know, I would emulate him in the batter's box. Remember how he used to come up to the plate? It looked like he wasn't even going to be able to walk barely. He, remember he'd go like this with his neck all the time? You all remember that? Again, now I don't have to fake those injuries. I, I, I kind of know why I did that. You know, I, I kind of do that in the back before I preach, you know, try to get ready. But he, he was a bit of a hypochondriac, right? He had a lot, of, a lot of problems, a lot of injuries. But I used to mimic everything he did. When I got older and I, could, I, could, and I played baseball or softball and I got to pick my own number, I always pick 21. Somebody told me that the reason, somebody told me after the first service that the reason he picked number 21 was because not so many letters were in his name. I don't know what his middle name was. Don't do the math. We don't have time, okay? 21. And I even, some of my computer passwords still have some combination of, of 21, although I've changed them now since the first service when I said that <laughs> out loud. I wanted to be like Clemente. I wanted to run like him, throw like him, and bat like him. But if you haven't figured it out yet, I couldn't run like him, or bat like him, or throw like him. It's sad, but true. I wasn't able to do that. It was, it was unrealistic. But it's interesting that I still have people that I look up to. I still have people that I emulate. There's still people that I want to be like. Emulate means to model yourself after, to pattern yourself after. I have a great pastor friend right now who, he has the ability to listen 
to someone who's in a, in a difficult situation or someone who, who's facing a difficult decision to just listen to them for five or six or seven minutes and then say, okay, here's what I think you ought to do. Here, here's a suggestion. And he gives the most phenomenal advice and input. He has a great gift of discernment. And he has a great ability to communicate clearly. And I want to be able to do that. I want to emulate that behavior in his life. I work on that in my own life. I look at him, I see what he's able to do, and, and I want to do that. I want to get better at that. I don't want to do it like he does it. I want to get better at, at it, though, in my own life. Sometimes the people that inspire us are the people that are closest to us, the people that we want to be like. Often that's a mom or a dad. We look and see what they've done for us, what they do for us, and it inspires us. It, it, it makes us want to be more like them. Other times it's a, it's a family member or friend maybe that's going through a difficult situation, but we see how they go through that situation, how they are able to continue to trust God in the midst of those situations. And it makes us want to be more like him. Maybe a, a difficult physical problem. We have folks in our congregation that are just in physical distress and pain on an ongoing basis. But, but they're able to continue to do that and trust God in the process. Those are people that often we want to emulate. So here, here's my question. How many of you, either in the past, when you were a kid, or right now, have someone that you that you look up to, that you want to emulate? How many of you have done that in your, in your life in the past or are doing that right now? Okay, a lot of us. And I'm glad because that really is what we're going to talk about this morning, the desire to be like someone else, to copy them, to pattern ourselves after them. To do that, I want us to open our Bibles to the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1. Denny has been speaking on the book of Acts for several weeks, and uh, the first part of Acts is really a lot about Peter and the sermons that he preached and the things that he taught. And so as Denny was going through that series, I've been looking at the book of First and Second Peter, actually both of them, uh, in my personal time of devotion. And, and this is a, a chapter that really stuck out to me, and I wanted to talk about it. So it's First Peter chapter 1. We're going to begin in verse 13. Uh, through 16. But what I want to tell you uh, before we start is that the very first word we're going to read, in the NIV at least, is the word therefore. And I've said this to you before, that that word therefore, anytime you see it, it links what came before to what comes after. And again, I've said this to you before, that in Bible college we learned this cute little saying that said, you've got to find out what the therefore is there for. Because it, it links the two thoughts together, the two sections together. So in this case, the word therefore is linking the first 12 verses, really, of this chapter, where Peter is talking about salvation, the amazing grace that they've received in their lives and how that should cause them to praise the Lord and the amazing salvation that they've received. And now he's going to talk to them in these verses that we're going to read about how they should live their lives based on that salvation, based on that grace. So let me read verses 13 through 16. <coughs> Excuse me. He says, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy... 
So be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. I want to break these verses apart a little bit so that we can understand them a, a little bit more. Before I do that, I just want to say very clearly that the, the main command, the main directive of these verses is found in verse 15, where when, when Peter says, just as he who called you is holy, be holy in all that you do. That's the main command. Before he gets to that, Peter gives them some input, some advice, if you will, to help them be able to do that. And those things, those helps start in verse 13. And so what I want to do first is, is I want to read verse 13 from a different translation than the NIV that we just read. And the reason is that the NIV does, I think, a, an outstanding job of translating the meaning of that verse, the meaning of, of what Peter's saying. But it, it eliminates sort of a, a word picture that won't make any sense to us probably, uh, but until I explain it. But it made perfect sense to the first century Christians that Peter was writing to. And so I want to read this uh, verse in the New King James Version of the Bible just so you can see the word picture, and then I'll talk about the word picture. Okay, this is what it says, verse 13, 1 Peter chapter 1. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So I want to talk to you about this this phrase, gird up the loins of your mind, and unless your family is very different than my family, that's not something you say very often around the dinner table. So it's easy for us to read that today and think, what does that mean? What is that talking about? So I want to explain that to you. I also want you to know that that phrase, it appears throughout Scripture. 1,500 or so years earlier, it was written, uh, it talked about it when the Israelites were eating the very first Passover meal, they were told to eat it with their loins girded. I'm going to tell you what that means in just a minute, okay? Here's what it means. In that part of the world, during that time, and actually even today, still in in parts of that world, many many men wear robes. They have long robes down to their ankles. They worked well because it was a hot climate, and actually you could kind of use the robe to keep yourself warm when it was uh, cool, and, and they were cool when it was warm outside, etc. That was just a normal dress. But they weren't very effective when the men wanted to work, when the men wanted to do physical activity or physical labor, because it got in the way, as you can imagine. And so what men would do when they needed to work is they would reach down and they would grab the, the back side of the robe. So here's this robe, and yes, I'm not going to demonstrate. Thank you, but I, I thought of it. Uh, then I thought better of it. Um, so there's the robe, and they would reach back behind the, the back part of the robe, and they would pick it up, and they would tuck it in their belt. They would, they would gird up their loins. They would stick their robe in their belt. That's what it means. But what, in doing so... The, the robe then would sort of double over in front of them, and it would only be about this long down to their knees. So now they had tremendous freedom to be able to run or to lift or to climb, do the things they needed to do. It simply prepared them to do the work that they were going to do. So when a man had his loins girded, when he had his robe tucked in his belt, that's what it means, then you knew he was ready for action. 
He was engaged. He was geared up. And that is exactly what Peter is saying. He's saying, engage your minds. Remember the verse said, gird the loins of your mind. They were to engage their minds, to get geared up, to get ready. Ready your minds, Peter is saying, and to focus then their minds on God's grace. That's what he's telling them to do. And he says that grace will be fully revealed when Christ comes back, but they've already experienced that grace in their lives. That's what he talked about in the first part of the chapter. They've experienced God's grace because they're saved. They've been saved by his amazing salvation. He wants them not to focus on the things they used to focus on, but instead engage their minds and focus on God's grace. That's what he is saying. And then he continues in verse 14. He says, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. He challenges them, don't be conformed to those evil desires that used to mark your lives. But instead, he says, live lives completely different. Completely different. And he knows they can only do that as they focus on God's grace and what he's done for them. They can't do it outside of, of that. Peter wants them to keep God's, gro- God's grace excuse me, in focus. And so that is why he gives them the command he's about to give them. So he, he tells them in verses 13 and 14, here's how you can do what I'm about to tell you to do in verses 15 and 16. Here's the idea. Again, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a simple guy, so I need, uh, I need word pictures to help me. So if I'm walking towards this door and I'm looking at the door, it's very easy for me to continue to walk towards the door. It's no problem. If I want to turn around and walk back to the, to the podium, it's easy for me to do because I'm walking where I'm looking. But if I start to turn to my right or my left and I'm talking while I'm walking, even that's hard for me, um, I can get off track. I can, I can lose my way. I can start to veer off a little bit. This is really, uh, it's clear to me when I'm, when I'm riding a bike with my wife on a trail that's, you know, sometimes about as wide as this podium, sometimes it's about this wide, and maybe she's a little bit behind me. This happens to me, unfortunately, all the time. I'm riding, and I want to talk to her, so I turn around to talk to her. But when I do that, I go like this. And so what happens is I, I say, yeah, we'll just be there in a minute. And when I look up, I'm, I'm, all, I'm way over to the left all of a sudden of the path. And in fact, if I'm not careful, I'm, I'm off the path a little bit. But as soon as I realize that and start to look at where I'm going again, I get back on track I, I'm, I, and I stay where I want to on the path. That's the idea that Peter is using. That's the, what, what he's saying. He's saying, stay on the path and you can only do that as your mind is focused on God's grace and what he's done because that's going to enable you to not be conformed to the evil desires that used to form you, and that's going to enable you to do what he asks them to do in, verse, uh, in verses 15 and 16. So the idea that there's another word picture that, that came to me, and again, this is all about my childhood uh, this week. This idea of do not be conformed, he says, to the evil desires. Don't, don't let them conform you. Don't let them shape you. I know that probably everyone in this room knows what Play-Doh is, okay? Anybody not know what Play-Doh is? Ask your neighbor, they'll explain it to you. And here's what I found out this week. Play-Doh now has dozens and dozens and dozens, perhaps a hundred, 
different molds and shapes and machines, and you can make transformers and castles and princesses, and you can make ice cream cones with Play-Doh. You just turn a crank, and the Play-Doh comes out. Looks like you could eat it. In fact, it says in the box, do not eat. That's how realistic it is. When I was a kid, and one of my sons is here, they would say, back in the day. Usually they roll their eyes when they say that. I'm not sure why. When I was a kid, Play-Doh didn't have all those things. You know what Play-Doh had? It had this little wedge thing, okay, this little plastic wedge, and you would take a lump of Play-Doh, and you would put it in there, and then in the front, you had to slide this, this piece of plastic in front that had some shapes. You remember that? And you push down on it, and the shapes were like really extravagant, like a circle <laughs> or a square, and there was a star. And you had to slice the things off at whatever, you know, depth you wanted them to be. And you would squeeze it down, and it would come off, and you would, you would slice it off. That's, that was my childhood. How many of you had one of those wedges? See, a lot of you. Why did Plato get rid of that? I'm sure it had something to do with somehow selling us more Plato. The idea is this. The reason I share that isn't just to share a childhood memory of Plato. The idea is that Plato was conformed to the image you wanted it to be conformed to through the pressure you applied with your hand. You squeezed it into a new shape, and it came out a circle or a square. And that's, what, that's the idea of being conformed to something, being shaped or squeezed. And Peter is saying, don't be conformed by the evil desires that you used to, used to live by when you lived in ignorance, when you didn't know anything about God's grace. Don't be formed by it. Don't be squeezed by those desires. Don't let them shape you. And then he says in verse 15 and 16, he says this. I've already read it. Let me read it again. Just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Peter is saying, because of all that Jesus Christ has done for us, because of his amazing grace, his amazing salvation, he's saying, engage your mind, stay focused on that grace, don't allow yourself to be conformed to these evil desires, and instead, be holy in all that you do. And then he tells us, really, the reason to do that, he says, you want to do that because God is holy, and you want to be like him. Throughout Scripture, it tells us we are to be more and more like Christ. We're to grow more and more like him. He is our example. And that's what, really, that's what Peter is saying. God is the one we should be emulating. Jesus Christ is the one we should be imitating, not Roberto Clemente. Jesus Christ. We're to emulate, we're to pattern ourselves after him. And so we are to be holy in all that we do. The, the, Peter then goes on to say, again, he, he makes very clear, he quotes a scripture from Leviticus when he says, be holy because I am holy. He's holding God up as the example. God is holy. We want to be like him, so we want to be holy. That's the logic that Peter is using when he's talking, when he's writing this letter to these folks. He's the one that is shed his grace upon us. He's the one that's given us his salvation. He's the one who is holy. 
He's the one we should emulate and pattern ourselves after. Now, let me point out a couple of things about this concept of holiness because it's not a concept that I think about a lot. I have this week, actually for a couple of weeks, um, but it's not necessarily one that, that we're familiar with. Or you know, We hear the term holy. If you, if you read scripture, you hear it quite a bit. In fact, that, that term, that idea of holiness or being holy uh, appears more than 600 times in scripture. So it's, it's throughout the Bible. But here's what it means, really. The idea is, is separateness, uniqueness. God is unlike anyone else. He's unique. He's separate. He is wholly other, W-H-O-L-L-Y, wholly other. He's completely different. There's no one like him. He is holy. The other thing it refers to, really, is God's moral perfection. There's he, he is free from any imperfection of any kind. He's perfect. And so one passage that, that illustrates this that I wanted to read to you this morning is found in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 6. It may be familiar to some of you. It's a, it's a passage where Isaiah has a vision of who God is. He, he glimpses who God is, and I want to read that for you. Isaiah chapter 6 verses 1 to 6. It says this, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. Two, with two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. And look at Isaiah's response to that. He says, Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. When Isaiah just gets a glimpse of who God is, of his holiness, Really, his, his first reaction is how sinful he is. He doesn't say anything about God. He responds and talks about himself. He says, I am unclean. I am ruined, he says. Woe to me. He understands that God is perfect morally, that he is separate, that he is unique, and that Isaiah, he himself, is not that way at all. God is holy. And Peter says, be holy in all you do. You know, the title of this sermon is to be or not to be holy. That is not the question. And the reason that it's not the question is because there's no question. Peter doesn't say, do you want to be holy? Yes or no? Peter says, be holy in all you do. I should tell you that Keith Kozik was willing to act that out for me somehow, but thankfully he went on vacation <laughs> because if he had acted it out, I've seen his videos he did for junior high, I never would have gotten a chance to speak, probably. But to be holy or not, to be or not to be holy, there's no question. Peter says, be holy in all you do. 
I want to I talk about that concept a little bit more of be holy in all that you do. Now, I want to point something else out to you. When we accept Christ, when we accept his salvation, Scripture makes clear that we are, in fact, made holy. We're made righteous. It says that in, in, in chapter 2 of Peter, in verse 9. It also says it in 1 Corinthians. Uh, it says, you know, when we accept Christ, we're, we're positionally justified. So there's no, there's no more work that needs to be done. In fact, I want you to hear this really very well, very clearly. Peter is not saying, live out your lives in such a way so that you can attain a level of holiness so that you'll be acceptable to God. That's not what he's saying. I mean, all of Scripture points against that reasoning and logic. Scripture makes clear that's not what he's saying. What he's really saying is, you are in fact holy, so live out that reality. In all that you do, be holy. Live out the reality. We, we are to be more and more holy because we are to be more and more like Christ as we live our lives. Again, he's saying that God is the one we are to look up to. Here's the, what's interesting, this, this thought came to me this, this week again as I was thinking about Clemente. Everybody that knew me knew I wanted to be like Clemente, and I did I mean, my whole life was just, it just revolved around him. I had baseball cards. I, I looked at his stats. I mean, I would go, I must have chewed a thousand pieces of bubble gum. Um, and because of that, I have a lot of cavities. Let's not get into that. Um, trying to get his baseball cards, because that's how you got baseball cards. Remember, you used to get a piece of gum and like 10 cards in a pack. I wanted his cards. I knew all his stats. I watched him every chance I got. Remember that you, you couldn't watch baseball all the time back then. You listened to the radio. For those of you, again, that are 25, a radio is this little box. A voice comes out. Right? That's what you did. But every chance I got, I wanted to be, uh, I wanted to watch him. I wanted to see him. I wanted to mimic him. My life was really wrapped up in Roberto Clemente. I wanted to model myself after him. And I didn't just do that an hour or two a week. I did it all the time. He was all I thought about. It was much of the time he was all I talked about. And, and so here's the thing. It's with that same fervor, that same amount of effort, that same investment of time that I am to be trying to emulate Christ. It's not something that I just do an hour or two a day or an hour or two a week. It's something that should mark my entire life. And, and the desire to be holy comes from a desire to be like him. And Peter is saying, you all as believers and I as a believer should have that desire. Let me recap a little bit of, of what Peter is saying here. I, I want to point out a couple things as well. Let me, let me say one more thing. We're not left alone to do that on our own, right? The Holy Spirit helps us to be holy in all that we do. He helps us live a life marked by that. When we're tempted to conform to the evil desires, Galatians 5 tells us he will fight against those desires, and he will help us to know what to do and not to do. 
Corinthians, 2 Corinthians tells us that the Spirit is at work to transform us again and make us more and more like Christ. So we're not alone. The Holy Spirit, if we're believers, lives within us and empowers us to live this way. So let's, again, let's recap what Peter has said to them and then how that applies to us a little bit this morning. He first told them, gird up the loins of your mind. Probably never forget that saying now. Be prepared, he says. Get ready. Engage your minds and focus on God's grace and what he has done in your life. He knows that unless we stay focused, we're going to wander, just like when I'm on the bike, right? If I don't stay focused, I get off track. Peter knows that's, that's the way we are. So he wants them to make sure their minds are engaged and focused on God's grace. He wants them to understand, actually, that eternity, that staying focused on God's grace and what's to come, that, that eternity is really much more important than what happens here on this planet. In fact, he says in verse 17 that they're to live their lives as foreigners just passing through. Our time here is brief. So Peter doesn't want them to get focused on all the things that can distract them, but rather stay focused on the finish line, on what's really important. And, and then he says that as we have our minds engaged with the assistance of the Holy Spirit, we'll be able to not be conformed by the evil desires that used to conform us, that used to shape us. So he wants us to stay focused on God's grace. Here's a really practical way to do this. Talk about it. When you're at dinner, at lunch today, whatever time it is, when you go to lunch with your family maybe, talk about God's grace. What difference has God's grace made in your life? Any? What difference has God's salvation made in your life? Do you ever talk about that? That's a great way to stay focused on it. Just discuss it. Talk about it. That's what Peter's saying. Yeah, it takes some effort. It took some effort for me as a kid to stay focused on Clemente all the time, but I did it without any problem because I so much wanted to be like him. And then Peter says we're to be holy in all that we do. All of our actions, our thoughts, every part of our lives are to be holy, he says. And that desire to be holy comes from a desire to be like him, like God. So take inventory of your life. That's my challenge to you this morning as we, as we end in the next minute or two. Take inventory. Are you being conformed, Peter would say, to the same, by the same evil desires that you were conformed to before you were a believer? If you are, that's a problem, Peter would say. He says, don't live that way anymore. Your life should be completely different than it was before. The life of a believer should be completely different than the life of a non-believer. If your life's a little different, some people notice, that's not what Peter's expressing here. He's saying your life should be radically different, radically changed. You know, elsewhere in Scripture, in, in uh, the book of Corinthians, Paul says to the Corinthians, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And he knew, the reason he said that, first of all, I, mean, I think we would all agree that Paul, he imitated Christ, did he not? He gave his all. He emulated him every way he could. He gave all of his effort to be like Christ. So Paul says to them, he said to them, imitate me as I imitate Christ, because he knew 
that if they imitated Paul, if they imitated him, they would become more like Christ because Paul realized he was more and more like Christ. And so they could be more like Christ just by imitating Paul. And I want to make clear, it's okay to have people as well that we want to emulate. I told you earlier as a pastor that I I want to emulate. it's, It's okay to do that. But we have to choose those people carefully, right? We, we have to choose those people that have the characteristics in their life that Jesus Christ had in his. So that as we emulate them, as we pattern ourselves after them, we will become more like Christ. Here's a question that God challenged me with this week, and I want to challenge you with it as well. Can you say, I want other people to imitate me because I know that if they do, they're going to be more like Christ. And I will say to you that I have the privilege in the first service of speaking when my wife and mother are in the crowd and the second service when my son's in the crowd. And I will tell you that answer is, for me, not always. Some areas, yeah. Some areas, no. What a challenge. We need to be able to say, not perfectly, but imitate me as I imitate Christ. So I want to challenge you with that this morning. Ask yourself, can you say that? And if not, why not? And then make changes. That's what Peter's saying. Peter is saying, live a life that is marked by holiness. Here's the last thing. When I was a kid, I told you, everybody knew, everybody knew I wanted to be like Clemente. Everybody knew it. Here's my question. Again, as I asked it earlier, remember, do people know that you want to be like him? Does everyone know you want to be like Christ? Or does anyone know it at all? Let's pray. Lord, I just want to thank you for your amazing grace, your amazing salvation that you shower upon me. Uh, Lord, you showered your grace upon me years ago when I I just didn't deserve it. And what's amazing is you still showered upon me today when I don't deserve it. And I know that's true for my brothers and sisters here as well. Would you shower your grace upon them? Would you give them the, the strength and the ability to ask forgiveness in the areas of their life where they need to? And Lord, would you empower us through your Holy Spirit to be holy in all that we do and to emulate you. I just ask it in the powerful name of our Savior and your Son, Jesus Christ.